We just live right now, man. It's going down, excited for the season. You know, we coming off a playoff win. I mean, you know, we had a couple wins. You're in a lot of trouble, and maybe it's because, well, sorry, Canada. Ah, <laughs> 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 Toronto. And because Philly sucks. I feel like I fear Boston most of all out of any of the Eastern Conference teams. Nah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Hello and welcome to episode 58 of the Brew Who Podcast. It is your intrepid interviewer, Riley Feldman, here again. Uh, we are continuing with our Inside the Basket Bloggers Studio interview series. I um, obviously want to thank Adam Paris for being my first guest last week. Uh, if you listen to that interview, or if you haven't, go back. Um, give it a listen, but essentially what we're doing here is we're having different members of the Brew Hoop staff come on through and talking with them about their history with the Bucks, their history with the site, um, a little bit about their personal lives so that you guys, the readers, the listeners can get a better idea of who we are when you're on the site or you're hearing us. So uh, we had Adam last week. It's, of course, only right that I follow that up with the third portion of our usual trio on the Brew Hoop podcast. Kyle Carr is here today, ladies and gentlemen. Kyle, how are you today? I am good. The weather has been great. It's been a perfect time to at least just sit out. We got some new patio furniture and just enjoying that as much as possible. Um, yeah, it actually feels like at least if we're going to be staying at home, then sitting outside is going to be at least spending some time outdoors has been nice. So otherwise, the baby's going through a four month sleep regression. So that's been a new challenge. <laughs> But overall, I would I have no complaints. Do you find that it's been easier dealing with these challenges of having a new uh, human in the world without having to necessarily deal with Bucks games also on top of everything? Yeah, I was going. Yes, it's I'd say the toughest part has been he has a stretch between like five and six. Because normally we try and get one more feeding before he goes to bed, but that's normally, I feel like that's when we also try and get dinner and we also have to get ready for the Bucks game. So not having that to worry about has been a plus, but just in general, not having to focus on like, okay, I got to do a rapid recap or I have to run Twitter. It, it is one less thing I have to worry about at the moment. Yeah, I think it's, you know, it's one thing for me where I don't really have that much in the way of obligations where it's like, oh, you know, I can do the rap and everything. But even after you had Sterling, I was always impressed with how much you were still putting out there, even, you know, if it was articles on the site or helping run the Twitter account, like <laughs> to be able to thread that needle was really impressive to watch from a distance. Thankfully, when he first started, he just slept a lot. Like he would be up maybe 20, 30 minutes at most. And that's just you feed him and then he falls back asleep. So that was the perfect timing. But Mm-hmm. Now that I kind of have an idea of what keeps him at least calm, then you know I can sit him on my lap and still you know throw a tweet out there. But yeah. it's going to get more and more interesting as he gets older because he'll require more attention. Mm-hmm. Well, hopefully you'll just successfully convert him to be a Bucks fan, and he'll be really intense well, on the game, easy. and then you can. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, he would have hopefully no other choice. Hopefully, he doesn't like choose the Bulls or something like that. I think that would be a uh, a real tragedy if that happened. If he's not going to be a Bucks fan, then he can't be an NBA fan. That's all I'm going to ask. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's a, a perfect jumping off point for the start of the interview here. So, you know, assuming Sterling will be a Bucks fan at some point down the road, 
I would be more interested in finding out what your path to being a Bucks fan was. So was it a born locally, they were the local team, your family fans, uh, you just happened to go to a game. So what was what was it that brought you to the Milwaukee Bucks in particular? It's a, a combination of things. So I was born in Waukesha. So that's only 30 minutes west of Milwaukee. So I always had been close to Milwaukee to be able to go to games. And it's one of those things where, especially during the 90s, um, the Bucks were terrible. So tickets were always pretty cheap. And that was one of the starting points. And I'd gone to the Bradley Center a lot between the Milwaukee Mustangs, uh, Arena Football, and the Milwaukee Wave, which was an indoor soccer league, soccer team. Uh, so there was always that connection of going to the Bradley Center. And the Milwaukee Bucks were just another team to watch there. Um, I loved watching Michael Jordan. So when I had the chance, when the Bulls came to play the Bucks, I would go and try and watch Jordan. But I kind of just decided, you know, the Bucks were cool. Glenn Robinson was killing it. Ray Allen mm -hmm. was starting off on the team. So it was really interesting seeing the beginnings of the big three. And my, we had a family friend that worked at the Bradley Center as well. So between having the season tickets because they were cheap and having a family friend that can work there. So that way my parents can just drop me off to the arena and they didn't have to watch me. They can just have their friend, family friend watch. Mm -hmm. Um, and then sometimes we were able to sit in his section. He was on the 200 level. Um, it helped, again, the Bucks be bad that I could just sit there and no one really threw a fit because those tickets were most likely available. Um, You're the only person in that section anyhow. It was one of those where, you know, there's not that many people and the ones that are there, they don't care because it's like, okay, it's just like a kid. <laughs> a kid's there trying to enjoy the game. I'm not going to throw a stink about it. So that's kind of how my path to being a Bucks fan started. And then since then, it's just carried over that they've been the team I care about the most. I had always said when I was at Eau Claire for college, how people care about the Vikings and the Twins and the Bucks, not the Bucks, the Vikings, Twins, Packers, and Vikings. Um, I was That was me with the Milwaukee Bucks. I cared about them more than any other team. If they did well, that was great. I could care less how everyone else did. If the Bucks won, that made my day. And unfortunately for you, holding that position that made you like one in a million in the entire state for like people who would ride or die, at least I'm assuming like up in Eau Claire and everything. Cause even yeah. <laughs> in the South, like in the Milwaukee area, like Waukesha, like you can go to Coles and there were Milwaukee Bucks apparel all mm -hmm. the time. So for me, it was just normal seeing Milwaukee Bucks apparel at a Coles or Walmart or Target, any of those stores, it was always there. And then when I got to Eau Claire, there's nothing in Kohl's and there's maybe one sporting goods store and they would have a small section for the Milwaukee Bucks and the Minnesota Timberwolves, but it wasn't enough to really buy anything. Like they might have a jersey, a jersey, they might have a t-shirt, might have mm -hmm. one hat, but <laughs> it wasn't the same. So everyone's looking at me just wondering, okay, how do you end up liking the Bucks? And some people mm -hmm. even said, is this even a team? <laughs> and it's like, yes, they're a real team. Come on. <laughs> that was, I mean, the late 2000s, early 2010s, like even with the, uh, the fear, the deer run was like the height. And then after that, it's like, okay, we're back to being like the, uh, the irrelevant squad all over again. Yep. I remember skipping tennis practice one day to go to game six of the fear to deer um, playoff series. And that was one of the best moments. I told people that they just looked at me. And asked, you really skipped to go to a Bucks game? I was like, 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a Bucks playoff game, of course they did. <laughs> yeah. So definitely yeah. odd looks, but as as I've gotten older and as the Bucks have gotten better, I think now it's less of a okay, that's weird that you're a Bucks fan because no one else is to okay, cool, you're a Bucks fan. Have you always been a Bucks fan or are you just kind of jumping to the bad wagon? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's been interesting to watch how the Packers I mean, this is all in the context of I've only been a really like following sports since like the mid 2000s when I was kind of old enough to understand it. And so you always kind of get this feeling that the Packers and the Brewers had like these, no matter how well they did or did not do, they always had a following and the Bucks were like the black sheep out of the group. And so I, I think a lot of the popularity now can obviously be attributed to Giannis being on the team, which is really helpful. But uh, it, you're right that it's definitely changed a lot where it feels more like a statewide conversation. It's not so much. I mean, I don't know if you're up in Eau Claire and you're listening to sports radio there, they're probably still not talking a ton of bucks you know, before the season ended, but um, you know, it, it does feel like it's grown to something more real, I guess. It's not necessarily just the community in Southeast Wisconsin. It's a little bit further out past that. Yeah. I think it's just more the kind of like you said, the acknowledgement that the team does exist and maybe they won't have sections on their radio show talking about the Bucks, but they'll at least mention, okay, the Bucks played last night, they won, or the Bucks are going to the Eastern Conference Finals, or the Bucks are doing this. There's at least relevant conversation about that. They have spots in the newspaper now instead of just being like that tiny little footnote. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it has been interesting to see that um, just because for me growing up, the Bucks were always a thing. They weren't necessarily the black sheep. They weren't the favorite. That was still the Brewers, and that was still the Packers, and that was still the Badgers. But at least with the Bucks, it was people knew about them. They might not care, but they at least knew about it. And then as it's gotten, as I moved more and more west, it became less relevant. And now it's at least getting to the point that, yes, it is a statewide team. It is a statewide pride sort of thing. And even when you get to, you know, the Twin Cities or down in Chicago, there seems to be more of an influx of Bucks fans just because, A, the teams do better, B, they have a superstar in Giannis. So, therefore, you might get younger fans that, you know, the Bulls are a tire fire. I don't want to cheer for the team. Oh, the Bucks are mm-hmm. a couple hours north. Or the Timberwolves are still a mess. Well, there's this team right across the border in the Bucks. Why not? So, I think yeah. that's going to be the new... Uh, Generation, as long as Giannis is here, there's still going to be more and more Bucks fans. How many of them stay if either Giannis loses or his team stops being super competitive? That's going to be interesting to see. Yeah. So, talking about outside of Milwaukee itself and the Milwaukee area, I know that you've kind of been a little bit all over the place. So, you've been in Eau Claire, you were in St. Paul for a little bit, now you're in Madison. So, I'd be curious, what was your path specifically then to Brew Hoop? Because, you know, I think it's interesting, you know, like Adam, for example, he came to Brew Hoop after he went out to Philadelphia. You know, you came to Brew Hoop, I'm assuming, after you had kind of left the Southeast Wisconsin area. So what was it like? Why Brew Hoop? And what did the kind of path look like for you to become part of the staff? I had always followed Brew Hoop, reading their stuff, especially I know when I was in Australia um, eight years ago, that was my main source of figuring out what was going on with the Bucks was brewhoop.com and Bucksketball. Those are the two main sites. Just because with the time difference, I was never able to watch a game unless for some weird reason they were on TV in Australia, which was rare. It would have to be a nationally televised game. Um, So I'd always been following it that way, always read the articles, always listened to the podcasts. So that's kind of how 
at least with brew hoop that was the one that i wanted to work for but i never really had the confidence or there was never the opportunity that i saw to maybe take the chance and then it was in 2017 so it was after the buck series against the toronto raptors had ended and i think i saw a tweet on the brew hoop account that said hey we're looking for a writer and i thought about it and i was still going on the fence and my wife had just said what do you have to lose at least just throw your hat in the ring just say you're interested and see what happens so i sent a message and then adam mitchell responded saying hey yeah we why not um write an article on a fan post just to give us a sample of what your writing sounds like and get an idea so i did that i wrote about i'm trying to remember what it was i think it was the predicted bucks roster going into the 2017-2018 season and i kind of had different tiers and estimated how many minutes they had and that got some decent feedback um, was able to talk to some of the common posters and just decided okay yeah maybe i can do this maybe it's something that i would like to do then thankfully adam and mitchell agreed so that's kind of how i started it was right after the two yeah 2016 2017 season and then i think that june I was able to kind of hit the ground running. I was able to go to the block party um, where I had met Gabe and Rachel and Greg, uh, Rachel and Greg, for those that don't know, they Rachel used to run a Twitter page. Greg was a part of the staff. So just getting to meet them as well was pretty cool. So that's how I felt. Yes, this is, this is what I want to do. And this is who I want to work with. And I didn't really have a necessarily writing idea style. I thought I would want to do more advanced stats and realize I don't care enough about advanced stats to keep going with it. Um, so I would just do more hypothetical pieces and more... Mm. I, I wasn't really the interviewing type of person. It wasn't really the reporting. It was more the, here's the situation. This is what I think it means. And I think that's kind of carried out since my time at Brew Hoop. Well, and then, so in addition, obviously if people are listening, I'm assuming most people are aware you are one of a rotating cast of people, but I would say you're probably the main person that runs the brew hoop Twitter account. So what did you suggest to Mitchell and Adam that you would run it? Did you have interest in like, because I think the difference between watching and commentating on a game from Twitter versus like the brew hoop game thread, for example, or just watching it by yourself is, is a totally radically different experience. So did you suggest it? Did they put out a call? I can't even remember off the top of my head, but what, what was that like? So that first season, there were times where Rachel couldn't tweet a game, whether she was just busy or just needed a date, a night off. So every once in a while, I know you did as well. I, I would jump in. So I kind of at least had some games where I would tweet and I was, I figured I'm already on Twitter. So why not just do it on the brew hoop account? And that was how it had started, just filling in every once in a while. Then that summer after the 17-18 season, there was Rachel kind of decided to leave, and there was kind of this void in which Mitchell and Adam had said, you're already... And I think Rachel decided at first to take a break. I was running the account in the meantime. There wasn't that much going on. I think this was right in between the end of the free agency period and before training camp. So yep. there's just more trades and stuff going on. I just send tweets every once in a while. I think I did polls, but it was around right before media day in which Adam Mitchell said, Hey, you're already 
kind of doing this do you want to take on this role in which i figured sure why not i was unemployed at the time so i didn't have anything better to do nice to have resume building doing a little resume building (laughs) it was yeah it was a good resume builder i figured again i'm already watching the games and i'm already on twitter so i might as well get a couple bucks get some small compensation for it so that's pretty much what happened and how i started and then yeah doing tweeting and giving commentary in that way is much different than just watching it on your own and it's much different than tweeting on your own account because obviously what you want to say on your account is not going to be the same as what you can say on the brew hoop account mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> as i've learned multiple times and even on the website's game thread it's just very different styles of communication mm-hmm. and thankfully the bucks were at least well the bucks were slash they were good slash getting better going into that year so it wasn't too much of a i don't want to say like a burden to run twitter but it was something that it took a while for me to get used to especially with how many games there were um as i got closer to the end of the season i was just like okay i part of me wants the season just end already but Mm -hmm. at the same time (laughs) it's kind of fun doing it and after this last season and when i found out that emma was pregnant it was i kind of decided i cannot do a full season of this again there's i can maybe at the beginning of the season but once it gets closer to that due date which was supposed to be february i'm i know that i would not be able to do it and do it a good job at it so i gave that up and thankfully riley um was able both riley's actually were able to step in and take over on that but i did like running the twitter account it just got to the point where i knew i wasn't going to be able to give it my all or at least give a concentrated effort most of the nights but it was i'm glad i did it i think Mm -hmm. it really made the it kind of was cool seeing different people because there's some people that I just don't follow or don't or people that don't follow me, but really follow the Brew Hoop account and really interact with that Brew Hoop account. So just talking to them as well was a nice experience. Um, definitely a larger platform. So what you say has a far further reach. <laughs> has a farther those reach. 8, 000, those eight thousand followers, that's no joke. When you when you start seeing yeah. a couple of tweets, you're like, wow, that one got like 20 likes and it was like a you know decent once you start ripping it off like really firing from the hip, you're like, okay, <laughs> we're starting to get yeah, some awesome. real interaction on this. <laughs> you tweet something that's like, okay, five likes, cool. That's normal. Mm-hmm. Then there's some that get a thousand and the mothership is DMing you like, hey, <laughs> Maybe don't say that. <laughs> that was a very humbling experience. <laughs> the uh, the interaction numbers are crazy, though. It's it, it. I think I experienced a lot because I didn't run it to the same extent that you did. Um, because there was like a like you said for the seventeen eighteen and parts of the eighteen nineteen season where um, you had not fully co-opted it, but because you were running it a lot more than anybody else, you had like, uh, you had the periscopes after the fact you had, I think you had put on your own voice, like the brew who Twitter accounts. I mean, it was still its own account, but you would kind of mold it a little bit to your, to your voice, which is a good thing because it gave kind of a, um, a consistent voice to the account itself. But the first couple of times I ran it, um, it was just like during a summer league. And even then it was just like, just getting the jokes off, jokes off, jokes off. And I, I think it is difficult for me when you're on that to do anything other than like, just do hot takes and or jokes. Cause that's usually what gets like interaction. And so thinking about that, I would be curious about 
when you sit down to watch a game, what do so what is one i asked this of adam last week so what's your setup like are you in the living room do you get the big tv or do you have to do the laptop and two and this can be either if you're let's say if you were doing a twitter game or if you're doing like a rapid recap or the post game so those are kind of different things but what do you look for as a focus are you looking for highlights are you looking for um just kind of little notes here or there as the game as the pace of play goes along and then after each quarter like here's kind of the main breakdown so what does your watching experience look like normally it's on one of my tvs so we have a tv upstairs and we have a tv downstairs both have a roku and have fox sports go so that's where i normally watch the games thankfully emma also is a fan of the book so having having it on in the main tv is not too much of an issue most of the time um how i approach it it depends. If I'm just watching it casually, not having to do anything for brew hoop, I'm, um, I have my phone in my hand, most likely, just trying to see if there's highlights, just trying to see what everyone else is seeing, because I was on a stream, so I'm a little bit delayed compared to those that are watching it live. So that's always interesting to see, like, there's a three that happens, and you see someone that has, like, a three tweet, and I'm missing, and I'm still five seconds behind, I'm waiting for it to happen. Um... When I was tweeting, I would have my laptop and I would sit at the dining room table still with the main TV in the living room just because trying to tweet on my phone was getting to be... I tried tweeting on my phone at the beginning just because it was easier, but I knew I couldn't keep up and trying to type things out and what's going on and having it be correct spelling-wise, it was just getting to be too much. So I just used my laptop and watch. And that was a little bit better. And if I'm doing a rapid recap or if I'm doing the extended recap, it's kind of the same approach of I'll have my laptop there just trying to see what's going on. And what I look for if I'm doing the extended is any trends that happen. So is it the team is going through a slump? Is the team continuously running the same two or three plays? If on defense, they allow a backdoor cut constantly or if there's a you know a rotation that I noticed that wasn't there before. So that's what I would do with the extended recap. The rapid recap was just more what's going on, how can I explain it as simple as possible, just so someone that maybe missed a game could get a short recap of it and get an idea of it. And it's definitely, I've liked how, depending on which I'm doing, it kind of opens it up because... I think normally just watching on the couch, I just look for cool stuff. I wait for something cool to happen. It, hopefully I don't get too frustrated at what's going on. I think as the last few years, I've gotten to the point where I feel too confident that the Bucks are going to come back every time. Mm-hmm. So they can be down 20, 30 points. And I'll be like, it's fine. They'll come back. It's no big deal. And now yeah. it's getting to the point that I can at least look at it through more of an analytical and more of a critical point of view um i think the game i especially remember was the end of the 17 18 season in philly where they just got the doors blown off of them and i was doing the i don't even know if i was doing the rapid recap or extended recap but i just said there is no point in me trying to explain this this was a bad game the bucks Mm -hmm. couldn't do anything possibly right (laughs) and that and a lot of people were kind of saying well why was that it's like i don't Everything went wrong. There's no mm-hmm. ex- explanation of why. It was a bad day. Philly's a better team. I don't know. Yeah. But I think that's kind of the tough part at times is explaining that sometimes that the teams just play poorly and there's nothing that can be done. And sometimes someone can go through a slump 
and I'm not a shooting doctor, so I can't tell you. Maybe it's the launch. Maybe it's how their feet are positioned. It's just they're cold. So that's how I would look at the games and the setup. Every once in a while, if I'm on the go or if, you know I'm still caught up at a grocery store or a Target or at work, I'll watch it on my phone. But mm-hmm. most of the time, I'll have a TV just so that way. It's just there. I don't have to use another device. When I lived in St. Paul and Madison, I would use... Um, I definitely use my iPad to watch it on there just because it was a lot easier and we only had one TV to share. So there's not really any other options. If someone wants to watch something that I concede and just watch on my tablet. Yeah. I think at this point, the most important question, and I think there's going to be a lot of people who are listening to this, wondering the answer to this, are you going to bring back the periscopes ever? Is there ever going to be a time where you think, because I think, we I'll, I'll, not not every single game, but uh, it, I think it's a troll account. But there are people who are like, bring back the the Kool Aid and the periscope. <laughs> so what was the what? So I guess twofold question: What was the origination? Where did you come up with the idea to do the periscopes? Uh, two, do you, would you ever even uh, bring it back, even for like a one off? So it started because Rachel had done something somewhat similar where she would kind of give a recap of the game. That was actually one of the other things that kind of motivated me to do brew because I was like, Oh, I can do something like that. That would be mm-hmm. cool to do. Yeah. So yeah. I know Rachel had done something some similar to that, but you know, it was more of a joke that we would do with the Kool-Aid to annoy Mitchell. Mm-hmm. And it got to the point where I was just having a lot of fun with it. It was something easy. I think it was really cool to do because there's, you mentioned putting my own voice to it, but it was also just giving the raw emotion and more the, this is what's immediately going through my head. There wasn't time for me to really sit down and process it. There wasn't time for me to really understand what was going on. This is just solely reactionary. And I know one of the periscopes I did was right after game four and I was at that game. So I was doing it on the walk back from the arena to (laughs) my car. And there's another time, I think it was game seven, where I was in lacrosse and I had watched a game in a bar and I'm doing this going from the bar to my friend's house. So it's, it's, it was definitely a lot more reactionary, which I liked. So that's how it started. And then I know I did a few one-offs. I think I did one for the beginning of the following season. I, I know I did one after the books crushed the golden state Warriors by like 41 it was west coast mm-hmm. i was unemployed yep. so i was like let's just have fun <laughs> um i i actually thought about that going into this year because i knew i was going to do the tw- i knew i wasn't going to do twitter mm-hmm. and i knew that previous season when the bucks were winning it was you know, one thing that they they won almost every game that i did you know they swept the pistons and that was starting to get a little bit bland then at least with the celtic series it, it was a little bit different in that regard and how the games were played that way and watching Giannis completely take over. And then Mm -hmm. it was the Toronto series. And that was a lot tougher because I didn't want to get overboard, especially, you know, especially after game two, everyone's on cloud nine. We're thinking, Oh, this is going to be a sweep or it's going to be winning five. Mm -hmm. And that was one of those where I didn't want to get too, too carried away because if there's one thing I don't need, it's someone pulling up old files and old tweets and using it against me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I don't want to try and get old take exposed, but I also didn't need that as a constant reminder. So that was really tough in the Toronto series just because it was so hard to try to stay level-headed as the team's getting closer and closer to making it to the NBA Finals. 
And I think I would do it again. Yeah, I was I would probably do it during the playoffs, but I don't know if I would do have done it during the first round just because I feel like that would have been a sweep and that would have just been more of a waste of time. To be honest, I feel like you can only say so many things over and over after each game. Oh, the Bucks were significantly better than his team. Giannis was really good. Middleton played well. Unless someone sends questions and someone sends comments, it's really hard to keep that going because I always tried to do at least 15, 20 minutes, and some of them went 30, 35. Yeah. But if it gets kind of boring, kind of hard to do it. But yeah, I, w- I was thinking of doing it, and I most likely would have done it for this playoffs. It just might have been second second round conference finals, and definitely if they had made the final. So if the season does resume and it picks back up, maybe I'll still do it regardless just because there hasn't been basketball and I'll feel more energized and refreshed. But going in, I was thinking, I don't know if I can do another eight, 12 games of this because mm-hmm. after doing, after last year doing 90 something games on Twitter, then another, what was it? Like 12 games of periscopes. I was at the end of the season and I was like, I'm done. I, I just need a breather. <laughs> but yeah, it'll come Kool-Aid back. Going into you. A lot of Kool-Aid you were drinking. Yeah, there's a, a lot. lot of chugging of Kool-Aid. I will I bring <laughs> the Kool-Aid back? That's gonna be the tougher question because as long as the Walmart by my house has it, I'll do it. But mm-hmm. if they for some reason run out, I'm not chugging anything else. It has to yeah. be Kool-Aid and that has to be that. And I don't think Mitchell's as annoyed with it anymore. So I don't it kind of takes away the fun of the joke. Yeah. I think, uh, would you say that, so no longer doing the periscopes because of a lot of different factors, but would you say, and you don't have to say you prefer doing the podcast over the periscope or one way or the other, but um, do you enjoy now having the opportunity to, instead of doing the raw right after the post game take, having the time to be able to let things sit and then gathering with me and Adam or whoever on a Sunday and then breaking it down. So like comparing contrasts, the experience doing the periscope versus doing the podcast, because I, I think it's relatively self-explanatory. Is there a different approach that you're going to it with? With the periscope, it was just simply saying whatever was on my mind, which mm-hmm. had its pearls because I didn't have to think about it. I didn't have to, you know, have thoughts in the back of my head and be a little subconscious of what I'm saying or what I'm planning to say. And hopefully, you know, your Adams don't say anything to kind of take away my point. I'm not just repeating it. So it was kind of nice that I could just fire it off. And also the more live interactions that would happen, you know, people would send comments and there'd be a question every once in a while or a point that someone mentions. It's like, oh yeah, that's something that I could talk about. So that was definitely a pro and it was less of a time commitment. It was, you know, 20, 30 minutes and then I'm done. Sometimes it was good. Sometimes it's bad depending on what night or what day the games were on. Um, The tough part though is obviously the the emotions are still very high and the emotions are still very much there. So trying to not get too carried away or say something that might get me in trouble, because that was always the tough part. If it was my own personal account, I think I would have had less of a filter compared to if I'm running it on the brew hoop account, Mm -hmm. I don't need to get myself in trouble. If it's my own account and I get in trouble, that's one thing. But if I'm doing on the brew hoop account, then I get in trouble then Mitchell and Adam have to deal with it. And then, you know, everyone else has to deal with it. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't seem fair to them for them to deal with stuff that was my own doing. So there was a, that was probably the negative is trying to keep myself within reason 
but then it didn't feel as authentic. While with the podcast, I do like that. I'm, I like it more that I'm able to kind of sit down and regain my thoughts and see what was there and kind of bounce off of what you and Adam are saying. You know, it's, I think it's better for me just because there might be something that I wanted to say that you were able to say, and I can kind of agree with it and kind of give my side of the story compared to I'm talking to myself primarily. And I think doing the podcast is a lot more fun just because, and this is something that we've been doing, you know, whether it's a live show or adding more kind of potpourri topics mm-hmm. where it's not just basketball, where you can talk about movies and pens and different foods. And I think that's the thing I like the most is more how we're able to kind of craft it into a style that fits all three of us personality wise. Um, that's what I would say has been the better part over Periscope. Periscope was still really fun and it's a nice little, okay, I have time. Let's do it. But I think with the podcast, it's able to be more, it's, it's able to be more, I'm trying to think of the word organized, more thought out, more actual substance to it compared to just firing off hot takes and firing Mm -hmm. off something and just getting carried away with it. I can still get carried away on the podcast, but at least then I know, okay, I'm going to get a little bit carried away Mm -hmm. and that's totally fine because I have the logic and I have the reason I have the balance state. I at least have some balance with it. Yeah. And I think what I've enjoyed most about the podcast is, and I've talked about this before where I didn't have any sort of basketball background. I just kind of wing it as I'm watching it. And so I would imagine if I did the periscope, it would be difficult to have like this one person. Yes. You might have the chat. There might be a good point that's made, but you kind of have a a one way conversation just kind of firing from the hip. Like you said, whereas with the podcast, if I say something that's outlandish or not even necessarily that, but if you or Adam make a really good point or really, you know, drive home an observation that I might not have considered, that feels like that's helping me. And hopefully for listeners as well, that helps them kind of consider something that might not have been top of mind as well. So I think that's what is to me, that's the real value of the podcast. Plus, like I said, I get to enjoy talking for an hour, hour and a half with you guys too. So. Yeah. And I'm less subconscious when I do the podcast just because it's not live. It's not right in the moment. So no one can see my facial reactions. No one can see what's going through my head. And it's just a lot less subconscious for me because I'm pretty much putting myself out there with the periscopes, which can be a positive, but at the same time, it's also very stressful because it's like, well, what if someone sees my face? And I mean, I don't mind showing my face, but I'm not really someone that's trying to be too much out there like there's some people that are like yes i will live and breathe and want to be in front of the camera i'm not necessarily someone that wants that if i have to do it i'll do it but i kind of yeah. more prefer being more behind the scenes and being more behind a microphone and yeah. letting people hear me hear my voice and that's fine um i, I just don't like it it's just really weird because it's like yeah you're seeing like my house you're seeing mm-hmm. like my setup yeah and that's a little bit weird at times, but yeah. no, it is. I do like the periscopes, but I would rather podcast. Yeah. All right. So one more site related question, then we'll move on to the more general stuff. Um, what would you say your favorites or the thing with brew hoop that you're, that you did or whatever that you're most uh, proud of or the biggest accomplishment? It could be a specific article. It'd be something that you've in, not imposed, but you've kind of put it into place with the site. So what would you say your biggest accomplishment with the site is? I think it's still 
ironically going to be my Sterling Brown piece um, that I wrote. It's going to be two years mm-hmm. later this month. I think that's going to be the piece that for me always stands out just because the raw emotion I had writing it and the thoughts that were going through my head because I had always known this video was going to upset me with how Sterling Brown was treated. I knew I was not going to be happy about it. I knew it was something that I felt like I needed to say, but just writing it out and not just throwing emotions and just going on a ramp, but also having statistics behind it. It's something that I was trying to write and Rachel was encouraging me and Emma was encouraging me and you and Adam and like everyone had the support because I, it was one of those where it's like, I feel like I need to write this Mm -hmm. and I feel like I'm the only one that can write it. So to have that kind of backing for it was always something that meant a lot to me. And then kind of how it all turned out at the end I knew regardless, it was going to upset some people because some people are going to think, well, Sterling Brown should have followed the law. He shouldn't have parked in that parking spot. And yeah, he shouldn't have parked in that spot. But at the same time, the reaction from the police was still so over the top that it felt unnecessary. And that was really what bothered me more. It was just more the reactionary treatment that he got. And it's on full display right now, currently, with all the protests. And, you know, you have people walking around government buildings with assault rifles and different guns. And nothing's kind of being approached with that. While if it was even people of color, it would be a much different reaction. I think that was something that I wanted to highlight. And especially for those that maybe they follow sports, but they don't really know to what extent what's going on outside of the arenas. And especially in Milwaukee, a city that is so segregated. It's so it has all of these issues. It's one of those where this, and this isn't the first issue that a Milwaukee Bucks player has had in the Milwaukee area in terms of racism. So for me, that was just writing that piece and seeing the reaction that it got. I wasn't expecting the reaction. I, like I said, I knew people would be upset but there was so much more overwhelming support and, you know, people, higher people, like higher up people were saying that, you know, you have verified accounts that are tweeting in and talking about it that I didn't think even followed basketball. You know, there's even a, like an MSNBC person that tweeted about it. And that was one of those where it was weird to me because it was such a topic that I think it wasn't just a sports topic. It was a sports topic, but it was also a political topic. It was a sports topic and a political topic and a community topic that it was kind of hard to ignore the situation that happened. So me being able to write it and still having, still being able to show my emotions behind it and also still have it be a very much well thought out piece. um, I think that's going to be the best work that I've ever done. And I think that's one of the pieces that I'm always going to be proud of. I'm always going to look back. And yes, it sucked having to write that. And I even said, I never want to write this again because I don't want another situation like that happening. But it was something that I felt proud of and I felt like needed to be said. And it's, yeah, it's going to be the piece that's always going to be my best. It's going to be my best work. And I don't think I'll ever top it. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's really, obviously I am. And I think a lot of other people, like you're saying, we're really glad that you were there and willing to be able to put together something to tackle instead of it. I think 
what the beautiful thing under Mitchell and Adam, um, and I would have to go back to like the old brew hoop as well to kind of get a vibe, but I, I think they've done a really good job of also fostering an environment where it doesn't necessarily have to be, we're going to do X, Y, Z, just the, on the court stuff, because I think it's easy for us, a, a sports blog to kind of go down to that. And, and I thought it was really valuable that you were able to put that perspective out there, that we had you on the staff, that they had you and they empowered you to go ahead and not worry like, oh, well, this isn't necessarily like, you know, how how did Sterling Brown do in this XY game? It was more so something a little bit wider ranging. I thought, you know, it was valuable. And I, I think a lot of people, whether they agreed or disagreed, you know, I would hope they got value out of getting your perspective and for people outside of the market, even just to see, I think there's a lot of people who would probably be, shocked or like they wouldn't necessarily know that milwaukee is the most segregated city in the united states and all those different perspectives that i thought it was you know, really credit to you and to the site and everything around it to be able to have the opportunity to put that out there yeah and i think that's also a good testament for mitchell and adam that they've been able to foster because you see other sites that sometimes they go a little bit off topic or maybe a topic that isn't necessarily a sports related one but it still impacts sports and they handle it poorly and you can kind of see just on the reactions and how people respond to it so you know the fact that mitchell and adam kind of saw it trusted me with it and still were able to look at it and say yes this is still fine you know they they gave some feedback but it was very minimal it wasn't hey you can't write this or we're not going to yeah. publish it or this is all over the place and they at least saw that while you know some other sites they might look at it and be yeah it's probably not a good thing to put out there but we're gonna put it out there anyway because we want clicks so yeah. yeah it's definitely something that they deserve props for uh um, yeah. at least just looking at it and it was i think with how the series they approached it it was something that you know i was talking to adam and mitchell and having them look over it and they were making sure that they brought it up with seth who was kind of in charge who's in charge of nba at sb nation he looked over it and he it was just making sure that everything that was going to be out there was something that you know, it wasn't just me just going on a rant that could create any issues. It wasn't just me making something that, because I still wanted to put my perspective, but obviously it's very difficult for me to put in my perspective, but maybe someone else doesn't agree with it or they read it differently. So having so many people go over it as well, just to make sure everything is still set. That was really good as well. Yeah. Well, like I said, hopefully we don't have to, put another article like out there yeah never want uh, to do that again <laughs> i'd rather do which bucks players are stars characters and stuff like that marvel characters and things like that yeah well i think we can kind of move on to the more general so i, I got a whole bunch of different questions i'm just gonna throw them at you so uh, i, I thought this go. was good from last week uh one thing that you would change about the nba on the court off the court what is if you were commissioner today if they just made you for commissioner for a day what would you change about the nba i think i would i would say if they could still take you know eight teams from the east and eight teams from the west but have it go one through 16 i think that would be much better because you know a lot recently it's been the western conference where the team that's in fifth or six is significantly better than a team that's three or four in the east and that mm -hmm. just doesn't seem fair so i think re ha still having eight teams the top eight teams from each conference go to the playoffs but then rearrange it so that one 
the number one team out of everyone still plays the six teams and just have it go that way, regardless of conference, I think would be the best um, approach. That's what one thing I would do um, just because I, it would make things a lot more interesting. And, you know, maybe the second best team in the West still has a chance to play for a championship. And instead of waiting until the Western conference finals, then it's the NBA finals, or, you know, you have two, three Eastern conference teams that can steamroll anyone. Mm-hmm. And instead of one of those teams not being able to make it, then maybe you at least have two or three of them. Yeah. I think uh, there's a lot of things that could probably change. Hopefully they'll take this moment with all the coronavirus and maybe do a couple of different unique things. We'll see how it turns out with that. Mm-hmm. Um, here we go. Let me see. Oh yeah. Okay. So I think this, this will be a pretty big topic. So it's going to be kind of up to you how long you want to go into it. But oh uh, for those who, those who aren't aware, uh, forward Madison, I mean, you have a lot of different teams that you're affiliated with, whether it be Liverpool or the Bucks or forward Madison, for example. So I, I would start with this question. Could you compare and contrast for those at home who might not have been to like a uh, local professional soccer game? What's it like being a fan of the two teams? Like, you know, I said, I, I know I that your role is pretty different. You're in person. The, the things that you do at the game is very different from what happens with the Bucks game. But kind of the fan base, the vibe, you're like, what's the differences there? I think with Ford Madison, it's more very, very community focused just because the stadium only holds 5,000 people. And the fan section is one part of the arena, kind of similar to how the Bucks have their cream. I don't know if it's what it's called now, Cream City Clash. It was Section 6, Squad 6, and Section 7. That's similar to what they have, but now just imagine that, but with thousands of people instead of just, you know, 50. And I think it's very, with Ford Madison, it's very much community focused. It's very much a team that's for the city of Madison. It's not necessarily corporate there's still corporate sponsors but those corporate sponsors are still local to either the madison area or wisconsin itself um and my involvement obviously is a lot more in depth than with the bucks the bucks you know i'll go to a bucks game i sit there i watch i cheer yeah that's it i go to a ford madison game and i'm still trying to watch i'm the one leading the chance i'm still making sure that people aren't fighting in the stands i'm still making sure that if someone wants to learn more about the team or learn about more about what we as a supporters group is doing i i'm kind of more responsible for that so there's still a lot more behind and the behind the scenes is i think the biggest difference being on the board i we meet every tuesday in terms of planning i'm in charge of the match up so the chance the flags the banners the audio, the drums, all of that I'm in charge of. So with this season, it's a little bit difficult because there's no games. But, you know, there's weeks where I might have a board meeting, and that's an hour and a half, and then I turn around, we have an audio meeting that's about two hours, and we're trying to make a TIFO banner, and that takes Mm -hmm. days on end. So I would say my involvement, obviously, is much more there with Ford Madison with the Bucks, but I think the amount of passion is still the same. Yeah. And someone asked me if I could choose between a Bucks championship and a Ford Madison championship, which would I take first? I still went with the Bucks because I said there's 20 something years of support that I've put for the Milwaukee Bucks. Mm-hmm. There's 20 years of that. There's 
I don't know how many dollars, although I think with Ford Mass, I'd probably put more money to that than I have with the Milwaukee Bucks. <laughs> if you take out tickets, I would say in terms of just buying apparel and gear. Um, but with the Bucks, it's like that was my team. That had been my team for so long. And Ford Madison is now becoming that team for me. Yeah. But it's, I think with some people, it's just, Again, how they view the Packers and Brewers, that's just how I feel with the Bucks and Ford Madison. And I think the tough the nice thing with Ford Madison is it's that community where you can walk down the street and you can find one of the players and I can talk to some of the players and it feels their natural. Does it feel like, oh wow, you're you're on the team, you know, yeah. you're a large life personality? While yeah. I feel like with the NBA, it's really difficult to do that because their lives are so out there for everyone between tv and interviews and their profiles going into it it's just a different feeling so i think that's kind of the two biggest differences with ford madison the bucks although they both still have very much dedicated fans they both still have a following that makes you want to watch they have people that you just want to put your all behind and i think that's a really cool thing and you know, Pfizer Forum is very much a large arena, and now there's been that debate of it's not the same as the Bradley Center. It's become too corporate. It's become this and that, which are, is partially true, and that's not the case with Ford Madison. You know, Ford Madison never gets large enough that that becomes a case as well. It'll be interesting to see how it's handled on that side of it. But in terms of how I feel about it, I think they're now equal in terms of my day can be made or like it can be good or bad just based off of if these teams win or lose, which I never thought was going to be possible just because of how much I care about and how much I invest my emotions towards it. Um, And it doesn't even have to be soccer necessarily. It can be football or baseball or basketball or hockey, any other sport. You know, if you have that team that's in your community, it can be your own softball league. Um, I think it just depends on how much you want to put towards it because all the stuff I'm doing for Fort Madison, I'm not getting paid for it. I'm doing it because I want to do it. I'm doing it because I care about it. So that's kind of the two big differences. But yeah, with Liverpool, it'd be the same thing, but they're all the way over in England. So it's kind of tough for me to have as much invested into it as the other two. uh, Yeah. uh, Because, you know, I can drive over to both arenas and watch a game if the if the time comes. Yeah. And I think one other thing that's interesting about your involvement with Ford Madison and again I think for people who are outside of the soccer community like the idea of sport supporter groups and things like that so there's the idea of like there's the fan section but then within that there are other groups that like it kind of doesn't fragment but there's other groups within that so I I know that is it Featherstone Flamingos, correct? Is that mm-hmm. your supporters yeah. group? So why don't you tell me, I, I think if anybody Googles it, there's plenty of articles like from Madison 365, there's the Behind the Feathers. Uh, there's a whole bunch of different places people can kind of get more information. But um, why the Featherstone Flamingos? What's it about? What makes it different from the other supporters groups uh, for Ford Madison? Yeah. The nice thing with Ford Madison supporter group are every there's a place, there's something for everyone. So we have Labara 608, which is more of a Latino focus supporter group. We have Ford Union, which is more community service focus supporter group. We have Mingle Ladies, which is more those that identify as female focus. And then with Featherstone Flamingos, it's more those that are, you know, it's more with the African-American and black community. 
And it was kind of nice between myself and Chris and April. We kind of sat there and decided it'd be really cool to have a supporter group that represents us just because, you know, a lot of it's not this case everywhere else in the world, but in America, soccer isn't really a sport that a lot of African-Americans participate in. And part of that is the cost. It's just not that expensive. But part of that is just not knowing that it's out there um, because, you know, again, soccer is one of those sports where if you have the money, you can play it. And if you have a lot of money, you can go further, further, get better and better coaching. But that's not, we want to be able to just show like you can, you don't have to play soccer. You can at least just watch, just go to a stadium, watch a game and, that's kind of how it all started. We called it Featherstone after Don Featherstone, who was the creator of the Plastic Flamingo, which is what this team is named after. And this actual official city bird of Madison is Plastic Flamingos. Um, so that's kind of where we got the name from it. And yeah, we just wanted to focus on you know the black community and African-American community and those that identify with it or those that want to help out as much as possible. Um, we've always said, you know, you don't have to be so, like black to be a part of the group. It's just yeah. more if you understand what we're trying to build and what our purpose is, you're free to say you're a part of the group. That's totally fine. Uh, we just wanted to spread just kind of put more our influence into a supporter group, whether it's the chance that we do or the music that's being played with it or the apparel that we sell, just kind of showing that side of it. And that's something that really works with Ford Madison is they've, it's kind of had that community where everyone can still do their own thing and everyone can have their own specific niche, but we're not, you know, stepping on each other's toes. We're not, you know, it's not like I can look at mingle ladies or La bar and be like, okay, that's them. I don't, I want nothing to do with them. We're all kind of working together for different events. And that's kind of the nice thing that I enjoy about it. Um, and with founding it, it's just something that, you know, there's, it's just, we want to be able to show those that yes, you can participate in soccer. You can watch soccer. You can take part. You can be at the games. It's a fun experience. Anyone that is in the Madison area that can go to a game, I always recommend it. And it's just something that we want to, be able to provide that access for those communities that might not have seen it otherwise. Um, just because, again, it's really tough to really get it accessible for them. Yeah. And I think, I mean, again, I'm, I'm not, I don't follow the team all that closely, but from the outside, the community, the fan organic community, but also it seems like the team is pretty involved as well working with, you know, I, I know they only got done with their inaugural season and that mm -hmm. the season's on hold now. So it's kind of a work in progress to see where it goes from there. But I think, you know, have you found that the team has also been supportive of trying to broadcast or even further like the different outreach programs that you guys want to do, or kind of, is there like a, a conversation that goes both ways with the team as well to kind of push those things? Yeah, there's definitely, I think that's one of the things that the team gets a lot of credit for as they listen to not just Featherstone or Labar, they listen to the whole fan supporter group. Um, we have a soccer fund that provides for, you know, soccer clubs in lower economic communities, whether it's just getting them soccer, like equipment, like soccer balls and shoes, or even giving tickets to a match. And I think that's something that the club has been really good at is knowing that this is a community the team and if they don't get the support of the fans like if they don't work with the supporter group and you know burn a bridge there then they're going to lose a significant chunk of revenue and mm -hmm. i think they're aware yeah. of that so part of it is a business decision of hey let's not piss off our fans <laughs> but 
Yeah. At the same time, it is very genuine. It is something that we can send a message to them. I know we were having a culture night for around Juneteenth, which was the day that you know slavery had ended in America. We were going to have a big celebration for that. And you know, there's days where you know Labaro is going to have something. There's days there's something for Mingle Ladies, especially during June for Pride Month. And I think it's something that the club has always kept in the back of their mind. They're they're still doing their own thing. They're still having their mm-hmm. own promotions. But they always try to make sure that they stay in contact with us. So if we have an idea of we want to do this, then they they can at least get behind it and throw whatever resources they have as much as possible. Um, Whether it's maybe having players show up to something or just saying, here's what I would do. Like, don't do this. Maybe try this because this is something that we found to work. So that's something that I think the club has been really good. And I think that's something that with any sports team, if – the team does care about its community and puts the time and effort into it. You can tell it's genuine. You can, you can kind of tell when something's going on and it's just more of a, well, we have to do it or we have to do it because everyone else is doing it. But there's also times where you can kind of see they actually care. They actually want this team to live on, you know, for years and years and years. And yeah, we just finished year one last year, but year two would have been, a month in already had it uh had this pandemic not happen but it's something that is cool to see and it's like i said it's right down the, it's in the same city for mm-hmm. me so that's the nice thing as well i know over in minnesota they have minnesota united and they have minneapolis city which those are two other great examples of teams that have gotten involved with their community and have listened to their fans um but it's just one of those things where at the end of the day Dave, everyone still is able to work together and maybe because things are still relatively new and we both sides haven't really found their own kind of found their own footing yet like we have it but if we were to give it off to someone else i don't know what would happen to the supporters groups if a different group was right and the same with the team where this team got new owners we don't know how that would turn out so i think yeah. there's still that benefit of the doubt and able to understand where each side is coming from that hopefully stays that way but obviously that's something that's out of my control yeah well it's super cool i i think it's if if anybody follows you on twitter they'll know your your involvement level i mean if and if anybody goes to forward madison game you'll be able to see kyle from distance because he's the one getting the you'll either see me or you'll hear me (laughs) so i i think uh another thing that i'm interested by um, I'm originally from Sussex, which is not too far away from Waukesha. Um, I'm in beautiful Minneapolis. Uh, Adam is in, you know, I would say slightly less beautiful, but still beautiful Philadelphia. Why yeah. Madison, Wisconsin? Because you've been kind of all over the place. I mean, is it is it like a work thing? Like if, if you were to sell me on Madison as a resident, you have a house there now. So I would say you have <laughs> some level of roots in the I'm area. i for at least another 20 something years. <laughs> or something like that. So sell me on Madison. Why Why Madison? Yeah, so I grew up in Waukesha, then I went to school in Eau Claire, and then right when I graduated, I moved to St. Paul. Um, when I decided to move to St. Paul, I had always wanted to live in a city. Um, mm-hmm. It's just something that I had wanted to do, because going and visiting Milwaukee a lot was really cool. I wanted to still be able to have that time where I can live in a city. I was single, so it was perfect. I could do whatever I want. There's no, there nothing holding me back, so that was always yeah. the nice thing. Um, but when I was in St. Paul, then eventually Emma had moved to St. Paul as well. And we were thinking of moving in together. 
And we'd always joke that, yeah, we're going to live in Wisconsin. We're going to move back to Wisconsin. It's inevitable. And as the time, every time we said it, it became less and less of a joke or, and became less and less of a, well, instead of like 10 years from now, it was kind of a, why don't we just do it now? We can mm-hmm. both up and leave our jobs. So we had wanted to go back to Wisconsin because we knew we'd always end up there. That was inevitable. And that was something that we both knew in our heart that we would live there. And then we were trying to decide where in Wisconsin would we live. And that was where Madison kind of kicked in because we thought about lacrosse because lacrosse is still, we had a couple of friends there and it's still kind of a youngish college town. So that was fine, but there wasn't really, in terms of jobs, that wasn't really an option. She grew, Emma grew up in Wausau. So we thought, well, Wausau wouldn't be bad because she likes Wausau and her parents are still there. So that wouldn't, but I was not really feeling that. And didn't want to be down by the paper mill. You didn't want to live by the paper mill in Wausau. No, we didn't need enough paper mills. <laughs> There's too many of them right now. <laughs> didn't need the smell. Um, yeah. So then I kind of got to, well, there's Green Bay. And they were both like, no, we don't want to be at Green Bay. Mm-hmm. Yep. So it kind of came down to Milwaukee and Madison. And Milwaukee, I decided no, because I didn't want to be that close to my parents. Because mm-hmm. they're still in Waukesha. I was like, I don't need a day when my parents show up. I get home from work. I sit down. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, my mom's at the front door. Yeah. I, I don't need that. <laughs> so we kind of ruled out Milwaukee and chose Madison. And Emma had always loved Madison. Her parents had loved Madison. She had been to Madison more times than I have. Yeah. So for us, it was Madison seemed like the easiest choice. It was still decent. It was an hour for my parents. It was about two and a half from her parents. So it was still close enough that we could still visit them. And once we got there, it was kind of a nice mixture it was still a big enough place for me to feel like there's always something going on because also something i love about st paul was there was something going on and if there wasn't the minneapolis there's something going on and what for her she she did not love st paul it was just more of a she didn't want that large of a city but madison was still it was small enough that it felt like you could still be in your own little area and it's fine and everything you need is within a short drive so that's kind of how we decided on madison ever since then we've found different restaurants and i think that's been one of the biggest sellers for us is there's a lot of there's a good variety of cuisine in madison whether you want indian food whether you want ethiopian latin american chinese vietnamese there's a there's a type of restaurant for everyone and i think that's something that's really nice and going to the capital it's the Capitol building is really cool. I had never toured the Capitol, so going doing that for the first time was an awesome experience for me. And it's something that, you know, the Children's Museum is right there. And it's something that I viewed a place that I can raise a family with yeah. Madison is it was still big enough that I didn't need to know everyone and I didn't feel bored, but it was still small enough that I can still feel like in a safe community. And that was really one of the biggest sellers was it's a place that we can grow a family. It was still big enough that we can do something, whether it's going to a farmer's market or going to Fort Madison game or taking a short drive to go out to Devil's Lake State Park. Um, Or we can just walk around our neighborhood and just walk over and grab tacos from a street truck and go to a park and just throw a Frisbee around. It was something that, that was really the biggest seller for us is it's still big enough that there's stuff to do, but it's small enough that it feels like a good community and feels 
a safe place to raise a family. So that's pretty much why we chose Madison. Although I do sometimes think like, yeah, let me say Paul would still have been cool, but I couldn't afford to say Paul at the rate I was. Yeah. It's, it's a pricey up here. I can, I can definitely attest to that. I think hopefully the, the Madison tourism board will get in contact with you, giving them the free advertisement like that. Should. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of funny. Cause I feel like, you know, you're over in Minneapolis, Adams in Philly, Mitchell's down in Austin, Andrew's over in Phoenix area. And then I'm just like, yeah, I'm in Madison. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, I think it's interesting that, I mean, you're in Madison, so you're pretty close. Gabe is like the, uh, Riley's also in, the other Riley is also in Milwaukee. Yeah. So I, I think it's interesting that we have so many people that aren't anywhere near Milwaukee or don't live in Milwaukee that cover the team, which isn't obviously necessary, but that's always kind of an interesting little fold to things as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's say I hit on with this as well last week, you had unlimited time, resources, and interest. Uh, is there some sort of topic about the team or topic in general? Um, it can be about anything that you like, that you would like find interesting to write an article about or to, to write about or kind of do some research on. I think it would be the branding of the team itself. Um, just looking at, because the thing I've always been intrigued about with this team are the logos itself. Because you had the buck to start off with and the spinning the ball, which I view as one of the best logos ever. Um, so you have that logo. But then you kind of shift and go to a complete 180, and you have this purple and green, and you have this more fierce-looking deer. And I love the purple and green era. It's, I think it's just more because that's childhood. So that always is going to resonate with me. And then you decide you're going to change the logo again. And it's, ne- it's basically the same thing, just red and green instead of purple and green. And that's, I view as kind of a bust. And now you have this current logo. And I wonder how long that logo is going to stay, if there's any tweaks that they're going to make to it. I think the team has positioned itself so that if they ever wanted to shift, they can go with that state logo. And if they ever wanted to add a color, they can add, they've done it with the green. Maybe they add it with the blue. Um, but it's definitely something that I would be interested in terms of the branding. And also if they had a chance to either bring back old jerseys or create a new Jersey template, if they had to start over, how would they approach it? Because I think a lot of people are very, they have good memories of, you know, the Irish rainbows, whether it's the all green or the green and red. And you have the original logo at the start where you have that white and it says the Bucks, but you have, you know, a green and red trim on it. And you have people like myself that want the green alternate deer logo to come mm-hmm. back. And I think that's a topic for me would be interesting just more the branding of it. Cause especially with a team like Ford Madison, that's something that I've seen on the front end and something I've seen up close is how that brand really extends to not just your community, but then the rest of that sport community. Because, you know, you can look at Ford Madison released in Jersey and everyone is talking about it. Um, the Chicago Red Stars, they're the women's soccer team in Chicago. They just had a new jersey and they had the city uh, skyline. And they in there, they had the neighborhoods on there. They have all the neighborhoods on the jersey. And I think that's really cool to see. And it's not just something that, you know, you think it's cool, but you th- everyone thinks it's cool. And I think that would be the same thing with the Bucks is kind of seeing how they would go about it and what things that did they have on the table. So I think Brandon would be the topic for me of 
yes, I would want to spend, if I had unlimited time and resource, I would want to know the team's branding and the process behind it. Yeah. And I think it's interesting too, because when the, they took over, like you said, they already had 40 years of previous branding to build off of, or they had to keep in mind, like if they came in and changed it to like the, the Milwaukee hedge fund, hedge fund uh, sure. managers, maybe that wouldn't go so well. So I think the, it would be interesting seeing that versus like a forward mass and where it's very from the ground up and like, we're just starting mm -hmm. from scratch and see where we go from there. So I think, you know, keeping that in mind there too, would be kind of an interesting angle to look at as well. Um, let's see here. Oh, I, I think, uh, so you already talked about Emma's a Bucks fan. Thank goodness. It makes life a lot easier spending all this time doing things about the Bucks. Uh, what does she slash your friends slash your family? What do they think about your involvement with the blog? So that I, I know that obviously Emma's a <laughs> listener because she's posted on Instagram about it and how we're still in denial about the season. So I know that she's a listener. So shout out to Emma. Um, but what does everybody make of what you do with the site? Like, do they think it's cool or are they like, it's just a thing he does? Like, what do they, how do they come at it? Yeah, Emma's definitely been there from day one with my involvement with Brew Hoop. And it's funny because when she became a Bucks fan, she was very heartbroken when Greg Monroe left. She was very heartbroken when Jamari <laughs> left. She was very heartbroken when Brogdon left. And she's like, no, they were there since day one for me. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I'm like, no, there's some others. And the only Bucks that are still on the team from when she first became a fan are Giannis and Chris. Because yeah. I don't even think Ursad was on the team at the time. So it's yeah. definitely interesting seeing that shift. So she knows everything that's going on but in terms of family members sometimes they think oh yeah kind of like what adam was saying oh you write about the bucks you write for the bucks like no i don't write for the bucks yeah. <laughs> it's mainly about the bucks and now the podcast i think especially at my job people know i do something that's related to the Milwaukee bucks but they don't know to what extent so they they'll always ask like oh do you write on a site or something or i one person asked if i ran the site i was like no i do not run <laughs> Absolutely not. So I would say for most family and friends, you know I do stuff related to Milwaukee Bucks, but I think most of them have gotten to the point now that they know I don't write for the Bucks. Although yeah. a few of them are now asking, Oh, have you written anything? And I know last year they're like, Oh, have you written anything? I was like, No, I haven't I didn't write an article for a good three or four months <laughs> because I was so focused on Twitter that I was yeah. like, Yeah. Nope, I haven't written anything. I just run the Twitter account and that's it. But yeah, they they know I have some involvement in terms of writing about the Bucks, but not for them. And I think that's going to be something that every time I either meet a new coworker or if there's a new family member that joins, that's something that they realize from, you know, a word of mouth. Yeah. I think uh, hopefully this interview series will dispel the myth that blog bloggers are uh, we run the world or that we have a lot of influence or that we write write for the buck. So hopefully, if people continue to find this, they'll realize that we are not as powerful as we apparently seem. Or at some point, they're going to start seeing that I don't make enough money to justify. <laughs> I do it. Yes, yeah. That's the other thing. Hopefully it dispels the myth. I don't even think it's a myth that we're rolling in the dough because I'll tell you folks, we're not, which is fine, but that's yeah. just the reality. Of Dave, it's the toughest because he's actually like there interviewing and talking to all the players. Like he's the one that's probably, it's like, no, I don't technically. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, all right. Free rapid fire here. And then we'll start finishing up. Have you ever called into a sports radio program? It could be about the bucks. It could be about whatever. Have you ever gotten on the line and hit them with the, first time long time actually no 
Ironically <laughs> enough, I've never done it. I've always thought about it, but I've never done it. Most of the time, it's because every time I listen, I was at work. I'm either at work or I was driving to work, so I never had the opportunity to call. But it's now have I gone on Twitter pages and sent questions and or Facebook pages? Yes, but I never mm-hmm. called into the show. <laughs> have you ever tweeted unironically from your personal account at a player? Have you ever, whether it be like a uh, a dig or praise, have you ever been like, hey, at Greg Monroe, huge fan of what you did in this game? Have you ever done anything like that? I probably have. I just can't remember. <laughs> there's, there's a high chance that I have done. I have at some point. I just don't remember who. It most likely would have been the early 2000s mm-hmm. when I had first gotten on Twitter and no. was a stupid college student. <laughs> I was probably drunk when I was doing it. <laughs> It's the Wild West. Like all the everybody's early Twitter phase, you definitely have like the tweeted at athletes or celebrities, like yep. <laughs> and thinking that something was going to come of it for sure. That's definitely like I'm pretty sure it was probably Brandon Jennings or Larry Sanders that I've tweeted at. <laughs> like that, it had to be one of those two. Have you ever gotten in a discussion or debate with a opposing fans team and drop brew hoop the card as like a way to validate your opinion? Like I'm an expert because I am at this site. <laughs> Yep, I have definitely done that. Um, There's one person that was arguing, saying, how would I know what's going on with the team? And I said, well, I'm part of Brew Hoop. And they're like, well, are you credentialed? And I was like, no, I'm not credentialed, but I know, I still know enough that's going on. I still talk about it. Out of anyone else in this conversation, I have the most valid information and see it on the front end. So. Once I get those accreditations, that Jimmy Cra- at Jimmy Crackhorn, I'm going at you because I will show off the credentials. But yes, I have dropped through hoop and being a part of it to uh, support my argument. You put in the time. You you have to. You get the badge. If you put in the time, it's, you can bust out the badge. I'm still want. holding that grudge. I'm still that petty. <laughs> Kyle's got a long memory. Everybody remember that. That's the one thing I want people to remember from this. Um, okay. Two more quick questions. Uh, Fave Buck, uh, I think everybody's could be Giannis. You could do Giannis if you wanted, but is there a a player that you really identified with? Maybe they weren't everybody's favorite, but you just you really like this player for some reason. I know we talked about it in a couple episodes ago about like cult heroes, but Luke Richard Abamute was one of my favorites. Um, just how he played, because I felt like I. I if there's a player that I related to the most, it was him. Terrible at offense, but a decent, to, like, mm-hmm. at least had defense for them. And that was me all of my basketball career. Could not shoot. Wasn't the best ball handler because I was always taller for everyone else at the time. So I mainly mm-hmm. played power forward or small forward. And then when I got to high school, it was, well, you're going to have to be treated as a guard. And that was a train wreck. So mm-hmm. it was always one of those players. And then a younger version of me, I was always a big Tim Thomas and Ray Allen fan. Um, they were the two. I remember I always wanted to shoot like Ray Allen, but could never do it. Mm-hmm. And Thomas wearing the two headbands, I thought was one of the coolest looks in the world. <laughs> Those are all valid reasons. I think deep down and inside everybody who has a favorite player, there's something like that. Like I just like, like their style or just whatever random fact about them. Like I just, they captured my heart for some reason. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, what would be your dream job? 
uh, if you, you know, money wasn't an issue, you could live wherever, what would be your dream job? And why is it professional podcast host? <laughs> Not professional podcast host. Um, no. Growing up, my dream job was always to be a sports journalist and end up on either on Sports Center as a host or being on the show around the horn. That was always the dream I wanted. And mm -hmm. there were times where I would come home from school and I would have it around the horn on and I would give my arguments on topics like every other panel <laughs> did. I'm pretty sure my parents would walk in and think I'm talking to myself and I'm going a little bit insane. But that was just something I always had. Mm -hmm. um, but I think the job I've always wanted would be to work either at Nike or Adidas and be a sneaker designer. Um, at, whether it's marketing the sneakers or designing the sneakers, that's something that I've always been passionate about. And it's something that growing up, I always had either a pair of Jordans, a pair of Air Force Ones, or a pair of Air Max. Always had one of those three in my closet, mm -hmm. regardless. And I think that's just the job I would want is to be able to market the sneakers and model the sneakers, design the sneakers, whatever. I always think of myself as a basic light version of a sneakerhead because I don't have the income to constantly buy new shoes. But it, sneakers are always one of those things that if I could have something in the world, it would be that. Yeah. What do you? What is your quick take on the Zoom Freak twos? Have you seen the imagery of the the upcoming Zoom Freaks? I saw them. I don't mind them. It's I don't like the issue is I don't like where the swoosh is, and that was my issue last year. Initially, was mm -hmm. I didn't like where the swoosh was, but then as different colorways came out for the Zoom Freak ones, I warmed up to them. I don't like the black and white Zoom Freaks. They're just too generic and bland and boring but the colorways yeah. were always cool and now with this version i think the nike swoosh is just like awkwardly taking up the whole shoe and you still have to have it take up a good chunk of it and still have that logo there but it just mm. seems very much uh all right we're just gonna throw it in the middle and we're gonna design a sneaker around that instead of let's yeah. design a sneaker and, and throw the swoosh on yeah, I guess I don't really follow sneaker evolution all that much, but it seems like it's design wise like pretty different from the Zoom Freak ones. Like like you said, they had the swoosh on the heel for the Zoom Freak ones, and this one they're like it's just move it all the way around, change a lot of what the shoe looks like, which I'm right. Cool, I guess. And I feel like they should have just kept it on the heel because that would be the signature look. Because I feel yeah, like yeah. every signature shoe has that look where you don't know what year came out, but you know whose shoe it is. Yeah. And I get a little bit worried that if they keep tinkering around with Giannis, no one's ever going to initially recognize what it's it's his shoe. Yeah. It's a uh, sneaker talk brought to you by Nike, I guess. We'll be getting those checks soon in the mail as well for, uh, hopefully, I don't know if there's hopefully. a sponsorship <laughs> code, but okay. Final question for you. Um, what would you say your greatest or the non brew hoop, non bucks related accomplishment you are most proud of? I know it sounds cheesy, but I think having the family that I have, um, between having my wife and having my son, it's it's something that I feel like a parent, any parent understands it is when you see your child, it's just like that is a part of you. That is something that you contributed to. That's a part of you that will always live on. And it's a really cool feeling, especially when I'm not a morning person. I require two or three cups of coffee in the morning before I want to talk to people. But 
I can just roll over, see my son in the bassinet, and he has this like big smile on his face when he wakes up, and it's just like, okay, this this makes my day, and you know, and with having my wife, it's, and you know this as well with Catherine, it's like you have that person that you know you want to spend the rest of your life with, and you have, you just know like this is the person that I will always have regardless of what happens in my life. And I think that's really cool. So as cheesy as it sounds, having my wife and my kid has been one of the best accomplishments because I never thought I would have that type of accomplishment. Um, so having that and seeing him grow and see him get larger and bigger and louder, it's, it makes me chuckle every time. <laughs> Sleeping even less than before, all those sorts of things. Even less sleep, but... Yeah. No, it's going to be one of those where I'll look back in 20 years when he's hopefully walking across the stage for high school graduation and be like, and to think you were just this tiny little human that would cry out just because they didn't want me to leave the room when they fell asleep. And now mm -hmm. they're becoming an adult. So yeah. I would say that's probably one of my biggest achievements. Otherwise, getting gold in WSMA for my saxophone solo, that will be my other big accomplishment. <laughs> Ooh, I didn't know you played sax. We might have to have you come on for a little uh, little jam session or sometime. <laughs> oh, man. I have it in my office. I just have not played my saxophone in at least three years. But, yeah, I played saxophone for 10 years before that. <laughs> Jeez. Okay. Well, you got you got coronavirus, COVID-19. You got this whole pandemic to work on it. So at the <laughs> end of it, we'll have, <laughs> when the season comes back, we can have it. Uh, ready to rock off the rust. Yeah. Well, I think that's a, a really good note to end it on. Shout out to Emma. Shout out to Sterling. Sterling, hopefully 20 years from now, you'll listen back on this podcast and be like, okay, that's my dad on a podcast. Yep, talking my dad really spent <laughs> way too much time on the box, and now I, I get it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I get why my but, dad uh, films this box. <laughs> yeah, now I get why I'm a fan. I, this is the origination point. Yeah. Well, uh, I think we'll probably close it off there. Hour 20, this is like one of our usual podcasts here, but I uh, really appreciate you coming no, on, Kyle. Man. Yeah, it's it's what the people demand. It's what they need in this time. So I, I appreciate you coming on. Appreciate uh, both you and Adam being my first guests here. Um, and I, I appreciate everybody who has listened to the first two interviews. We'll continue on, I think. I don't know if next week we'll have Mitchell or somebody else on the staff, but we will have the rest of the staff week after week as we go along here. Um, if anybody has suggested questions, you're more than welcome to hit me up on Twitter at Riley Feldman. Kyle, where can they find you? I am at Kyle Coche. And yeah, thank you for doing this, Riley. When you proposed the idea, I was like, this is a really cool idea. I don't want to do it. <laughs> so <laughs> the fact that you've been able to take it on and have been a great interviewer, um, props to you. Props to you. I appreciate it. So hopefully... We'll get through this, and maybe by the end of it, once we run through the whole staff and everybody, maybe the season will be back. But if not, between now and then, between now and next week, we'll catch you guys later. Mm -hmm.